Hello and welcome to Decoding Cancer from the Irish Cancer Society, the series that aims to answer your cancer questions. We're looking at something a little bit different today and while it may not be one of the burning questions around cancer care and research, it's a fascinating topic for this week's episode. Just how could dogs be helping to unlock the secrets of cancer for humans? Well, here to reveal all and to chat more generally about the important subject of skin cancer are two guests who are very well placed to give an insight into the matter. Skin cancer surgeon and cancer researcher, Dr. Shirley Potter, and Kay Curtin, who has herself experienced a melanoma diagnosis. So it's brilliant to have you both here, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. So, Shirley, I'll give you the honour of satisfying our curiosity on just what this episode is about in a moment, but I'll come to you uh, first, Kay, if you don't mind, uh, and very briefly, just tell us a bit about your own experience with melanoma and the work you do to raise awareness and support for those affected. Hi, Rob. Yeah, um, I'm a stage four cancer patient. Um, I got a diagnosis of melanoma originally back in 2004. And then I was fine for about 10 and a half years after having surgery. And I had done a, um, a adjuvant trial as well. But like I said, I thought I thought I was out of the woods, but then in 2015, um, I became very sick at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, it wasn't anything that I wasn't joining the dots, thinking that I was in serious trouble. I thought maybe, you know, maybe I had a gallbladder issue or something, but I ended up in hospital. And after uh, after having a CT scan. They discovered that I actually had um, progressed and I had widespread um, metastatic disease, which put me in a very precarious position. Um, following on from that, I was lucky, I would say, you know, timing wise, if you can be lucky in that situation, because some new drugs had been developed um, they had just finished trial, one of them, and um, the other one had just been reimbursed by the government. So I was lucky that I was offered the opportunity to use those drugs. And, um, you know, it was very dramatic, um, the improvement that I had. Um, I would say, you know, I went from being somebody who was um, very precariously ill and who who may actually have died within a matter of weeks. Um, you know, I wasn't eating. Um, I was. I had lost a lot of weight. Um, I looked. I looked very unwell. But that turned around, you know, fairly quickly. And um, astonishingly, about eight weeks after I um, started treatment, I was climbing Crow Patrick with my husband. That's, that's some turnaround. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it was it was pretty amazing. Now, I mean, I wasn't out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it took possibly about a year and a half before I had a clear scan. Um, and since then, I've been, I've had clear scans, touch wood, hopefully it'll stay that way. Um, and, you know, it, it is amazing because um, I remember what it was like back in 2004, there weren't any treatments available for somebody who was a stage four melanoma patient. I mean, it was a death sentence and that there was no two ways about it. That was it. You were you were going to die if you became a stage four melanoma patient. So, you know, timing wise, as I said, it's because of the research that happened between the time that I was 
a stage two patient. And when I progressed on to being a stage four patient, it was that research that has saved my life. We might bring Shirley in on that. I mean, Shirley, you're a surgeon in the Matter Hospital and you, you specialise in, in plastic surgery, but also in the treatment of, of skin cancer. Uh, and you're involved in a lot of interesting research. You've recently had an award uh, from us, a very competitive award, and congratulations on that. Uh, and you're going to talk to us a bit about one um, study. But skin is obviously one of the most common forms of cancer in Ireland. There are about, what, 13,000 cases diagnosed annually uh, and unfortunately on the rise and one of your interests is in what's called comparative oncology. So can you tell us a little bit about what this means and what it's to do with our canine companions and how the, the skin cancer angle kind of comes in on that? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah, you're right. We have a very significant instance of skin cancer in Ireland, and it's not just melanoma. It's also non-melanoma skin cancer, melanoma being the most aggressive. Um, so... We're in a unique position um, in UCD in that we have the veterinary hospital co-located with the medical and health centres. And we um, use a concept called comparative oncology, uh, which is the principle of studying a disease in both humans and animals. And uh, in this case, it's the case of melanoma. Um, it's a naturally occurring disease in both humans and animals. So we're not actually giving the animals melanoma. This occurs in animals. And dogs being our companion animals, they're exposed to the same kind of environmental exposures as we are, such as sunshine, smoking, dietary uh, intake. Um, as a model for cancer, they have an intact immune system. Many of the models we use to study cancer in the lab are immune deficient. Um, and we've now come to realize for cancer that the immune system is extremely important, not only in allowing cancer to happen, but also in activating the immune system to fight the cancer. So what happens with dogs? Uh, about 40 dogs in Ireland get melanoma each year, and most of them are treated in the UCD veterinary hospital. Um, when they tend to get melanoma, unfortunately, it tends to be quite aggressive from the start and it spreads quite quickly. Um, so therefore, you have a short disease span that you can study in these animals. Um, whereas in humans, you know, disease can progress over a few years or maybe 10 or 15 years. So it takes longer to study the disease from start to finish. So the unfortunate thing about canine melanoma is we have very few treatment options for it. Um, besides surgery and some forms of chemotherapy that we used to use in humans years ago, but they're quite toxic and don't provide much benefit. So therefore, uh, the concept of comparative oncology, looking at a disease in both humans and animals, the, the aim is to come up with something that will benefit both humans and, and dogs in this case, um, and to benefit both species at the end. And I suppose, Shirley, there's, there's probably some differences in their metabolism and that, but presumably that can all be kind of corrected for so that one can extrapolate from one species to the other. Would that be the case? Exactly. I think we, what we're looking for is just key things that stand out as potential targets within the disease and, and you know, looking at similarities between the diseases, but also looking at differences, why something happens in a dog and doesn't happen in a human. And it's those key similarities and differences that, that uh, give you something to look at in, in laboratory research. And, and how's the work going? Has there been any observations or, or, or that to date from, um, from the work? Yeah, so we've had some key findings in the last few weeks even. Um, uh, so, what we look at in particular is a concept called extracellular vesicles. So these are little messaging packages that come off the melanoma cells 
and they signal to other cells in the body, such as to the lymph nodes or the liver, where melanoma can spread to. And we found some key molecules or proteins within those packages that we can now look at to target. Um, We found those in human melanoma, um, and now we're going to transfer that into our canine samples uh, and see if we can uh, identify if they're there in the canines as well. Um, And then move on from that and see how they affect melanoma cell growth, how the cells grow, how they spread, how they divide, and how, how potentially they cause the disease to progress in both species. It's probably great for the pet owners, I imagine, as well, to know that, you know, the difficult times that they may be having and their pet may be having may help and, and contribute to others down the line that better treatments may be found um, for, for other people's pets, I suppose. Is it when you talk to, to people in terms of consenting and so on? Yeah, um, I mean, most pet owners, um, I guess they are a little bit um, weary and they're right to be, you know, their animals being involved in research. But the key with this type of research, we're not doing anything different to the animals. We're using the samples that we're, the veterinary hospital are taking anyway, uh, that would be put to waste otherwise. So it is it, it is good that they, you know, there's some benefit potentially going to come out of out of these samples that we can use. Um, and there are some very key people that are interested in this within UCD. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Pamela Kelly, who's our, our UCD veterinary pathologist, who has a, an interest in this, and then Amanda McCann in the Conway Institute and Des Tobin in the Charles Institute. There's some very key researchers looking at melanoma in UCD and in Ireland in general. I think one of my main things would be to link all those people and, and try and get a better benefit for patients around the country. And that's, that's a, I suppose, the take-home point as well for all of us, that, that we want to see that transpose from the learnings there um, across into improvements in, in human outcome um, yeah. as well and we might we might go back to that because we might ask you about your work on that in a second but I just want to bring um, Kay back in there and it's a really fascinating insight into something many of us would never really realize was happening in our country and, and, and within uh, our colleges etc and that really could be a benefit so th- thanks for providing that. Uh, Kay you've an, a unique insight a little bit on this as well because as well as living with melanoma yourself your own pet was diagnosed with the skin cancer um, and tell us a little bit about that. You, you were explaining to me a little bit earlier as we were um, we were getting going in the conversation. Yeah, Rob, it, it, it's amazing, really. It, I didn't even, it didn't really register with me that dogs might have skin cancer or, or you know, have a melanoma. But it was about a year into my treatment and my dog became unwell. And we could see that there was something growing um, on his skin, on his, um, you know, on his hind leg. Well, up, up on his torso. And, um, you know, this thing was growing and growing. And I, I thought maybe it might be just a cyst or something like that. But I, I took him to the vet and um, I was uh, pretty astonished when she said to me that it, it was could be a melanoma or that it was definitely a skin cancer. Um, now, it wasn't biopsied, but um, because he, he had some treatment that was very successful Um it was, um, you know, a cream that we applied to his skin every day for maybe, I think it was about two weeks. Um, and you could see that this this um, was um, starting to shrink and go. And, you know, he, he was lucky he had a, he had a really good recovery. Um, 
But yeah, I was really surprised when the when the vet said to me that it was um, a skin cancer, and I, I like I said to you earlier, I almost felt like he was going out in sympathy with me, and we had this extra connection, and because um, you know he was going through the same thing as me. I know maybe I think that sounds a bit daft, but um, that's how it felt at the time. And he's also thankfully had a, a good outcome uh, as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He he's recovered now. They did say to me you know that there was a chance that it would spread um but luckily hopefully it was because I you know acted quickly and brought him to the vet that um that it had that it didn't spread so going back to that point that um Shirley made about you know finding these molecules that might be common between dogs and humans that show you know whether it's going you know may be involved in the spread I mean that's absolutely amazing because yeah when I was stage two you know that was my huge worry that it was going to spread but nobody could tell me you know if it would or you know even how you could pick it up early you know so that it wouldn't get to a stage four if it was spreading so um if we can develop something and along those lines, you know, that gives earlier detection for metastases. That's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I think I was saying to you, I've, I've had kind of a conflict, well, not a conflict, but um, I've had a, an experience as well. I'm very, very grateful to colleagues, especially Pedro in the vet hospital um, during um, COVID, my own um, dog uh, un- unfortunately developed uh, pancreatic cancer. And um, he uh, had uh, very, very ill uh, with it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think people realise that malignancies are quite common uh, in, in pets, especially in, in our dogs. And fantastic um, folks there. And interestingly, he had a major operation initially, but he also um, needed uh, chemotherapy afterwards. And the specific type of chemotherapy that he got um, was essentially transposed from from human beings so actually we do use back and forth that the, the vets use some of the principles uh, of, of human treatment and, and that but uh, Shirley I might uh, bring you in back in there uh, as well and I suppose you've what you've articulated there is just part of a number of research projects uh, you're involved in at the moment uh, and you're of course a recipient as I mentioned of our clinician research leadership grant award um, from the Irish Cancer Society which allows you to pursue some of these projects. So tell us a bit more about these human-specific um, research projects that you're working on. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, in a very fortunate position to be able to take time out of my uh, busy clinical week and to have some protected time to do research. And, and it's thanks to the Cancer, Irish Cancer Society that I've been able to do that. Um, so I guess for melanoma, uh, there's a couple of different projects we have ongoing. There's the projects I mentioned where we have um, samples from melanoma patients in the matter um, being used for these important uh, to answer these important research questions regarding the spread of melanoma. Um, but in terms of the surgery that we do on melanoma, um, in order to treat melanoma, we, we excise it or cut it out uh, with a margin around that. And the reason we take a wide margin around it is, number one, to prevent it coming back in that spot where it was, and number two, to try and prevent it spreading or reduce the chances of it spreading elsewhere. And the margins that we take are quite debatable uh, around the world. Uh, there's lots of questions being asked. Should we be taking one centimetre, two centimetres, three centimetres? And if you think of a defect that's three centimetres circumference around a mole or a lesion, if that's on your face or your neck or somewhere where it's cosmetically sensitive, um, that's quite a significant defect. 
and it may not be necessary. So what we're looking is, can we take a more conservative margin and still benefit the patient in the same way? Uh, so there's an international trial called the Melmar trial that's currently starting to recruit around the world. It started in Australia and it's um, now recruiting all around the world. And we're hoping to start recruiting Irish patients to this trial in the next few months. It's just going through the last few stages. Um, and uh, this will answer a really important clinical question for melanoma and be of real benefit to the patients. Because if we can guarantee that we can get the same outcomes with a more conservative margin of excision, um, this will benefit patients in terms of post-operative outcomes, pain, whether they can have their procedure under local or general anaesthetic. It makes a, a big difference in terms of what we do from a surgical point of view. So it's a, a key question that we need to, to have answered in, in melanoma treatment. And, and one of the things you touched on there, though, which I think impacts a, a lot of uh, the doctors that people would see every day, and I think maybe the general public mightn't be aware of this, but in Ireland, many, if not most doctors, um, most uh, cancer consultants will have two to three times the workload of their colleagues, and they don't necessarily get time for doing the kind of great research that you've outlined there. And uh, that's why you were saying that that award I I is important. So like, what does what does that mean for you and, and what does it mean for the for the wider team and, and I suppose the the outcomes that uh, people affected by cancer might expect? Yeah, so uh, I think it's really important that you have clinicians or doctors involved in research of diseases, not just cancer of all diseases, um, because it's the clinicians and doctors that can link between the patients and what goes on in the laboratory to answer the questions. And I think they, as well as the scientists, can come up with the key questions that need to, need to be asked about these diseases and the key areas that we have no answers to yet. Um, so by having protected time to do that research, it allows me to really focus on it. Um, otherwise, you're trying to juggle it between clinical work, uh, probably doing it in your spare time, and, and nothing gets done properly that way. If you have protected time for it, um, it allows you to really focus on it and hopefully come up with... Um, uh, key outcomes for patients. And I think it's the, the public, um, you know, donating into the Irish Cancer Society. This is where some of that money goes. Uh, and I think that uh, hopefully that will reap rewards in terms of um, patient outcomes in the end. Thanks, Shirley. And I, I, I might go back uh, to that sort of patient focused side of things um, with, with UK and something you, you touched on there, but maybe give you a little bit of opportunity to talk a bit more about you, you yourself, of course, of an interesting and varied involvement in, in patient advocacy. Um, I, I've seen you speak, uh, for example, at European level. So can you tell me a little bit about some of that work that, that you've been doing and, and why it's important to you and, and, and other people impacted by, by cancer and skin cancer? Certainly, Rob. You know, one of the main areas, as I said, that I'm, I would be interested in is the area of research. And um, I became involved with Cancer Trials Ireland as a, um, the melanoma patient representative in the um, their meetings that we have maybe three or four times a year. They're called the DSSG meetings. And that's where we all get together, that's the researchers, the oncologists, and myself as the patient representative. Um, and we discuss the trials that are happening at the moment in Ireland, but also we look to other trials that are happening internationally and trying to see if we can get those opened up in Ireland for Irish patients. So my role there is really to give the patient perspective on what I think you know, any observations I might have 
that I would think might potentially create problems or might um, potentially, um, you know, be of a great benefit to patients, you know, if they, if we do get this trial to Ireland. So, um, yeah, so that's been one of my major areas of focus. But um, I always like as well to link up with people like Shirley, because um, recently, um, I mean, she probably has more detail on this, but there was a very interesting survey that UCD um, sent out to us, and I was able to pass that on to the um, melanoma support group and get them, um, you know, so that they had that link and they could get um, more answers for their survey. And the survey was actually about comparative um, oncology and it was about consent um, and about, you know, whether you would be willing to consent to um, giving samples or giving um tissue samples or blood or being involved in a comparative oncology study and how you would feel about consenting to having your dog as well um if they if it was the dog that had the cancer how would you feel about having your dog involved in a study like this but um so it you know being um linked up with researchers is really important um for patient advocacy and for pushing forward um, research in Ireland. And there's been a great movement the last few years to include patients more in this process. And, you know, I can see that that's going to build and build as we go forward, because the patient voice is very important. And, you know, we have an important, unique perspective. There's often things that researchers don't think of or oncologists don't think of because they're working away in their own little bubble and they're looking at it from their point of view. But their point of view to what's happening can sometimes be very different to what the patient's point of view is. And, and you've really illustrated there, you know, how research is evolving into a partnership um, as opposed to, you know, just focusing on the nasty bad cells. It's around the whole person. It's around people working together and, and, and different perspectives. And what would you feel about, you know, say that that aspect of, of skin cancer? Because I suppose we talk in research a lot about you know, the cells, the pathways that go wrong or whatever, but we don't actually talk about some of those important things like how big a scar and, and, and the contribution that that might make to how somebody feels. And I, I don't know whether you've come across that yeah. in your own uh, experience or or with other um, folks, again, that you help advocate uh, on behalf of. Yeah, certainly, you know, what Shirley said about if it's a melanoma that occurs on the face, um, you know, some of these surgeries can be quite disfiguring. And that's another perspective for the patient to consider. While the surgeon is hoping to cut it out and cure the patient, the patient is also thinking about my life going forward and, you know, what am, how is this going to affect me? And it can have, you know, a huge mental impact to have something that's very visible like that. But not just that. I mean, there's a physical element to it as well. In my own case, my melanoma was uh, removed from the center of my back. Um, now, that was a long time ago now, in 2004. So I'm not quite sure what the margins are. But I know that the surgeon did say to me at the time that they took quite a chunk to make sure. And I have felt that since because now, um, you know, when I'm sitting up or sitting for it, um, there is a, a pull on the muscles on my back because from where the, my white excision was. And certainly, you know, it would have been better for me if 
if at that time they could have known, okay, we don't actually need to take this much. We can go smaller. Um, we don't need to um, cut as much out. Well, I think you, you, you've really capped things off for us and, and, and brought it back to what we're all trying to do to make things better, to answer important questions, not just about cancer, but about people's lives and that as well. So we're coming towards the end of summer now and skin cancer might necessarily be to the forefront of people's minds over the coming months. But just how important is it, do you think, to still be taking protective measures and I suppose swift action if one does notice the signs of something abnormal on the skin? Maybe either or both of you might have a, a viewpoint of that. I might ask maybe Shirley briefly first, you know, how important in terms of what you see in your clinic is is both protection and early action? Yeah. Um, the thing about um, skin cancer and melanoma in particular, it is one of the most aggressive human cancers, but it's also the most preventable human cancer. So 90% of melanomas and skin cancers are, are caused by sun exposure. And there's two types of sun exposure. There's the chronic type of sun exposure that we all get, and it builds up over time and skin cancers occur in your 70s and 80s. But there's also, more importantly, the blistering types of sunburn that people can get in their early years, and in particular as children. And it's to try and prevent those key um, sunburns and, and sun exposure. So wearing factor 50, no less, and a fairly good quality sun cream and reapplying it is really important. Um, people think that Irish, there's no sun in Ireland. There is sun in Ireland. And the, the current weather reports and the weather apps that you have on your phone all give a sun index, our UV index. So it's really important to look at that. And anything over a two or three, you should be putting on sun cream when it's outside. Uh, wearing a hat with a wide brim, wearing good quality sunglasses to protect your eyes because you can get melanoma in your eyes. And then an awareness of what a sun a skin cancer looks like. So most of them are, 75% are in a pre-existing mole that you already have that starts to change, that starts to get blacker, starts to bleed, get itchy, change in size or shape. And then about 25% are from a new mole that's a um, what we call looks like an ugly duckling. So it's a mole that doesn't look like all of your other moles. And if skin cancer, if caught early, is preventable. And that's the key. So that's the key message to get across. Um, Kay, was there anything that you wanted to add, I suppose, from your experience? And, and you've been very active on social media around these topics as well. Um, maybe even something about that that push to people to just talk to a doctor or, or you know, get something checked. Yeah, certainly, you know, don't discount anything strange that, or, you know, that you might find or that you, you know, you have some concern about. And I think, um, unfortunately, during the pandemic that there was um, an issue with that, we saw that there was a huge drop in referrals um, from GPs to the hospitals because patients, you know, the general public were obviously not going to see their GPs at the time or thinking, you know, oh, you know, it's probably nothing, it can wait. And, you know, with melanoma, as Shirley said, it's it can't wait. Um, you know, speed is of the essence, really. I'm always, you know, astounded when I look at how thin, you know, your layers of skin are and just the huge difference um it can make between be having a melanoma taking taken out that's less than one millimeter or something that's possibly over one millimeter or deeper. And, you know, we really don't want people to be having surgery and having deep melanomas because then you can be in big trouble. You want to be getting those melanomas 
taken off when they are incredibly thin and not having gone down through the layers of skin and then potentially you're in a, that position where it might spread, might just spread in the future. My own one was considered, you know, quite thin at the time. Not, not quite thin, but, you know, not so worrying that I needed to panic about it, but it was like um, a 2.4 millimeter in depth. And when you think about that, a 2.4 millimeter seems like nothing, but that has changed my life completely from the life that I thought I would have. I suppose that's a sobering point in terms of that that prevention, early detection, that um, skin cancer does take a lot from our community, from people, but there's a lot that we have in our own control in terms of preventing it in the first place and talking to a healthcare professional if we if we have worries to make sure that, you know, we it, it doesn't um, come back um, to haunt us. So really grateful to you both today. Um, fantastic conversation brought us right through from from research, from from our, our, our pets, right through to the cutting edge of what's going on in, in skin cancer research in Ireland. Very grateful to you for your support. If any of our listeners would like to find out more and support the vital research funded by the Irish Cancer Society, you can visit www.cancer.ie. And remember to keep an eye on our social media channels for new podcast episodes and let us know your thoughts uh, using the hashtag Decoding Cancer. Anyone who would like help or advice on any of the topics we've touched on today can contact our dedicated Irish Cancer Society support line on free phone 1-800-200-700 or email supportline at irishcancer.ie. That support line is all one word um, to speak to one of our specialist cancer nurses. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be tackling the topic of just why cancer is so tough to treat. Mm-hmm.